Well, welcome to the One Thing Podcast, where we all get to practice dancing with the one thing that individuals, communities, and countries have yet to try. Exactly. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the stages of development for the connectedness that we have for the one thing which we're calling um, our connection with the source of life. And we tend to, as humans anyway, we tend to chase these situational highs. And that's just one of five stages that we'll be talking about in our time together. So, um, and we'll, we'll just show you how they all fit and how we develop. It's a natural development. There's nothing wrong with being in any of the stages. It's just good to know where we are so we can move ourselves along um, in, in the best way possible. And I'm really excited about this because while there are other ways of speaking about this and formulating frameworks about this, these stages I haven't really heard talked about in quite the way we're going to be doing that in this episode. Right. I think they're applicable to this conversation, this ongoing conversation with the one thing, right? Yes, for sure. So here are the five stages of developing TOT as in the one thing, connectedness, beginning with stage zero. Oh, <laughs> so stage zero is when we're pretty much asleep. We don't even really recognize that there's something to be connecting with. We're, we're just sort of present with everything on a more external basis. And that, that particular state or stage is, is mostly autopilot and there's a, a lot more fear and there's um, mostly a disconnection from the knowing on any level of our being that love is the fabric of the universe. And so the way we make our choices is, is more based in fear than not. And, you know, we can look around the world and just make an assessment in a broad brushstroke way, uh, what stage <laughs> humanity in general is operating from <laughs> at this point. So anyway, that's, um, that's the asleep stage. So we call that, as Lori said, stage zero because of being asleep. Now, stage one is where the awakening begins. We call that um, the breakthrough experience, but there's a variation on that that I'll describe in a moment. For many of us, that breakthrough experience is a first mind-blowingly compelling experience of the one thing. Although for others of us, it can actually, the breakthrough experience is not one one single mind-blowingly compelling experience, but it's little slivers or glimpses that are ticklers that alert us that something more than we've known about while we've been asleep is waiting for us. And as those little ticklers begin to accumulate, they collectively create that kind of breakthrough experience in stage one. Yeah, so... I had, I remember when I was eight years old, I was sitting in a church pew. I grew up Catholic. My mom is a devout Catholic and she's never missed a week of church in her life. And she's 80. <laughs> so that says a lot. And I remember sitting in the pew thinking, huh, what? I don't 
I don't, I didn't buy into a lot of the dogma and the doctrine that I, I was being taught, even at a young age. And, and I remember c- contemplating why we needed confession. Why did I need to talk? Why did I need a screen and another man to have a connection with the source of life? And I remember sitting in that pew and kind of looking up. And this was actually my first um like experience that I remember anyway. If I, if I can just interrupt really briefly, because you said a screen and a man. So for people who aren't familiar with Catholicism, you're talking about the confessional, the confessional and the on go, the other side of the, the right. you go into a little box, basically like a telephone booth, but enough room for two people. And there's a screen between you and the priest. And you're supposed to tell the priest, you know, what, what's going on for you, your sins that you've, <laughs> made and all of that. Anyway, I looked up in this pew and what I felt and heard and actually saw, this was a very multidimensional thing for me, was don't worry, you will eventually fly free. And I did. At 16, I I knew that I, you know, needed to kind of leave that um, particular construct of religion and seek a broader scope of spiritual understanding. And that really led for me, what that, you know, I guess we could call that a breakthrough experience, but I don't, I don't feel like I've had this one major turning point in my life. It's just been a string of events when I was 18 sitting at a stoplight and I asked why, you know, my heart, I was asking, why did, why was I born in America and not starving on the streets in India? And that opened up another door and they, they just, that just kept happening. You know, every time I went to a bookstore, the very next best step in my development would sort of fall off the bookshelf, literally, or or the book would sort of light up for me to consider and read. And it was like perfect for the timing. And that's just been going on for 45 years. <laughs> so for me, it's been a string. It's like a string of pearls that that have been strung together that have led me on this pathway, much like a popcorn trail, um, to awakening. Yeah. And I've had a somewhat similar experience around the, a string of, uh, of pearls, if you will, like you said. At the same time, I did have a very dramatic initial breakthrough experience. Uh, and even though it took me until I was 19 to break free from the version of Judaism that I was raised within, my initial breakthrough experience happened during my bar mitzvah. It happened actually during a Jewish ritual. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, that's the ritual that uh, that Jewish boys and girls go through when they are coming of age according to the religion. So uh, with boys, that's traditionally been age 13. With girls, uh, a bas mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, depending on which dialogue, uh, dialect of Hebrew you speak, um, that has traditionally happened at age 12, but oftentimes it's, in modern times, it's been moved in certain Jewish traditions to age 13, just as with the boys. Anyway, during my bar mitzvah, I was in the middle of chanting part of the bar mitzvah ritual uh, in my case, I did everything uh, during my bar mitzvah. There's a there's one particular part of the Saturday morning service in a Jewish boy's bar mitzvah that is pretty much mandatory for um, a bar mitzvah boy to do. It's it's called the haftorah, and that's the 
uh, portion of the Old Testament that is chanted, that's read through singing, after the Torah portions uh, are uh, for that Saturday are completed, the Torah being the uh, in Judaism the five books of Moses, the the Old Testament literature, literature or liturgy. So I'm chanting my Haftorah, and like I said, I had done everything. I had I had cantered the service. I had chanted all the Torah portions, and now I was doing kind of the grand finale, this this Haftorah portion. And in the middle of doing this, I disappeared. My sense of self disappeared. And all that, what remained of me was aware of was that this ethereal transformative music was coming through this body and this voice. And my awareness was on how the sanctuary, the synagogue, was being filled with this transcendent presence. And I saw transformation on, on, on the faces of everyone in the sanctuary. It, uh, and, and I was more, I, I was in a not-I state. I was witnessing all of this from, from a very, very tenuous sense of self. There really wasn't a sense of self during this. All there was was this witnessing of this transformational energy that was that was um, uh, infusing the sanctuary. And about two-thirds of the way through my Haftorah portion, there came this message inside of what remained of my sense of self as small and tenuous as it was. And the message that came was, where are you, David? And in that moment, I momentarily panicked because there was no me. And then with that question, I was coming back into a sense of coherent self. And I learned afterwards that most people didn't even notice that this had happened because I must have paused only momentarily. For me internally, it felt almost like an eternity because all of a sudden, with that question, where are you, David? All of this transcendent transformation vanished. And I completed my Haftorah portion in a musically and um, um, Hebrew... Um, um, accurate way. So everything was technically accurate from that point through the remainder of my Haftorah portion, but all of the magic was gone. And I had no frame of reference for making sense of this experience at the time it happened, but I came to subsequently understand that what I was being gifted during my ritual for becoming a man in Judaism was a contrasting experience between being infused with and, and channeling through me the one thing versus being in, an, in a technically accurate ego state that was doing the same exact Haftorah portion. So it was a very, very profound um, breakthrough, mind-blowingly compelling breakthrough experience that took me a while to actually make sense of.
Yeah. Cool. So, um, so you may have, I mean, there's, there's as many versions of experience as there are fingerprints. <laughs> so you'll just want to, as a listener, you want to just sort of revisit your past and, and ask of your heart to, and soul to kind of help you remember pockets that, or, or the larger, you know, sort of ahas that you've had in and of yourself. Because what ends up happening is that when we have these experiences, it's kind of like your first taste of sugar. You want more. <laughs> And so what humans tend to do is to kind of chase more of that feeling. And uh, if we're not 100% aware that this feeling comes from, you know, a higher connection and not from earthly stuff, then we'll chase it in earthly things like, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I, I don't have anything against those. But if we're seeking the, th the thing that we're so aching to reconnect with in those things, well, that's going to be, you know, probably usually will turn into an addiction. <laughs> you know, that's just a simple way of saying it. So the that but that's also a phase. That's also one of the stages that we go in is that we're looking when we're if you listen to the cosmology um, episode, you know, one of one of the ways I see the world is that we drop into this and it's a game board and the idea is a treasure hunt to find this connection you know, to our higher self or, or the source of life. And, and that's really the only thing that's going to give us um, confidence and a sense of self-worth and purpose and all these things we tend to seek for outside of that connection. And so we're hoping in this long-term conversation to direct you know, all, all listeners to this, to this one thing so that we can kind of make things happen in the way they were designed to happen, actually. Yeah. And so just to do a quick review before moving on to the next stage, stage zero that we've already covered is asleep. It's the stage of being asleep. Stage one is what we're calling the breakthrough experience with the caveat, with the understanding that for some of us, the breakthrough experience is a, a cumulative impact of an, a string of pearls, a number of of non-mind-blowing but still outside the box uh, slivers and glimpses that are ticklers. Mm -hmm. Then stage two is what Laurie was just describing. That's taught chasing. Chasing um, the, the one thing kinds of experiences but in a way that's outside of or isolated from our the fabric of our everyday life. Right? And that then leads to stage three at some point where we, we make this shift from pursuing the next workshop and the next meditation uh, retreat and the next and the next and the next experience that's outside of the fabric of our everyday life. And we shift in stage three into wanting to and being devoted to experiencing the one thing kind of experience inside the fabric of our everyday life. So we call stage three taught cycling, cycling the one thing, going back and forth, cycling in and out of taught connection in the fabric of our daily life. Right, right. And then stage four is is kind of increasing what David just said. So it's it's 
putting it into the next gear, so to speak, where we're remembering more and more to stay connected, not just in the morning when we do a quick meditation or a prayer or yoga class or something, but all throughout the day, maybe when we're, you know, dealing with our kids or making and preparing food or, you know, doing errands, all the things that we do in a daily life where we're actually um, connected and engaged in this relationship with our higher presence while we're doing those things. Uh, This is one of my favorite parts because people talk about things like heaven on earth and, you know, and making and consecrating life and all of that. Well, the only way to do that is to be in this connection and bring that energy through us while we're preparing a meal or talking with a clerk or something along. That's what consecrating life, consecrating means to make sacred. That's what making life sacred every day, all day. You know, um, there, there was that famous book, before enlightenment, chop uh, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So we still have to chop the wood and carry the water as long as we're in, in, in our body. And so the idea is that we do that with presence and intention and connection and with a yielding to this higher light and love instead of always you know, allowing our our, uh, ego, our small human ego mind to sort of yank the reins away and be an autopilot and take control and take us down rabbit holes and that kind of thing. So in this increasing tautness, we're we're allowing ourselves to have greater and greater uh, connection. And if we get off track, we come back to that connection sooner and faster. Yes, exactly. And uh, do you want to say something about the the four R's of increasing tautness at this point before? Yeah, I so um, you know, you you'll find your way, and we we just like to offer ways of remembering things. So um, we we came up with these four R's to increase our connection to the one thing, and one is to recognize, and that I think the preamble to that is is being present with ourselves. So you know, we we. Being present in every in any given moment is kind of like the prerequisite to everything. We, when we don't have that, there's like no door opening for us to even walk through and have an experience with our higher presence. And then just to recognize without judgment, right? We're just in observation and witness mode of, oh, there's that thing my small mind does all the time. I wonder if there's another option I have here, right? And and then the second R would be to release. And and this is, um, I guess the best way to say this is to be willing to, and this is a constant practice, I'll be honest with you, We have to be willing to release the lower energy of our small human mind in order to have access to the higher energy. So we release things like judgment and, you know, anger and, um, you know, all the energies that kind of keep us trapped. And it's not like we're, I mean, we're human and we're designed to have emotions, but they're not designed to take us into quicksand. They're not designed to, you know, shackle us into, you know, some people have had the feeling of betrayal and mistrust for decades, right? So the point is, is that we do small releases of all of those things as they come up, because here's what I've learned. If something is present, if something has gotten your attention, if, if your awareness is filled with um, something that needs to be released, it's ready to be released or it wouldn't be presenting itself to you, right? Like that's just the wisdom of our being. And then the third um, 
are is to just is to reaffirm our connection because whenever we offer something up like something we're releasing it it leaves a space right it's like now there's what is what's that saying nature abhors a vacuum right so what we want to do is we want to affirm our connection because then what fills the space of the old energy is a, a version of love and that's of course what we're all looking for even though we might you know, you might not be walking around in your life saying, oh, I really want love to fill my spaces, you know, <laughs> That's, but that is what we are craving and, and yearning for. And then the last one is the consistency of this is what rewires our brain tracks. So the more we walk the road of connection, the more the old road, I, I see them as country roads, like the old road is the is the lower human mind's pathways and all her shenanigans, his or her shenanigans, Shenanigans being autopilot, false beliefs, programming constructs, all that kinds of th kind of thing that are really past. Um, it's a prison of the past, actually. And then the new country road is is a is a is the truth. Let's just encapsulate it into that. And the more we choose that at, at the choice point, old road, new road, keep choosing the new road. That, that's a rewiring of our neural pathways, and that's important for deep healing with lasting impact. Yes, exactly. And so just quick review again, the four R's that we're talking about of increasing tautness are recognize, release, reaffirm, and rewire. And what happens, what no, Lori and I have both noticed as we practice this more and more of the time, as we do this more and more of the time, that we're, we experience this this kind of increasingly rapid shifting back and forth between a sense of self and a connection with the all. Uh, the, and and uh, the, the metaphor that we want to offer to you around that is, uh, is the drop of water and the ocean of water. So the drop of water is analogous to our seemingly individual sense of self. And the ocean of water is analogous to our experience of, of being the all, of, of bringing through us the all. So going back and forth, it's, it's like separate and then not separate, individual and union kind of back and forth, cycling faster and faster, all at the same time. Uh, and so that's, that's something to uh, practice stretching into and, and you know, cycling, doing that rapid shifting more and more of the time and more and more rapidly, which leads yeah. then to stage five. Did you want to add something before I do stage five? Oh, um, I was just going to say that, um, oh, I forgot, go ahead. I'll remember it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Interrupt me <laughs> as soon as you rethink it. Yeah. So stage five is for us kind of theoretical. It's consistent tautness. So remaining in the one thing um, connection in the fabric of our daily life uh, in, in a mostly uninterrupted way. So this we think is an accurate description of stage five, uh, but for us, it's a theoretical state, state um, because it's, it, it's, it's what we imagine enlightened masters are living in a state of. Uh, and uh, so this is, uh, you know, the, for the few of us who are so far in a full-time loving, lovingly state, uh, fifth dimension state, 
while while they are appearing to be functioning in the three D three dimensional universe. So uh, this is something that Lori and I keep aspiring toward: is that consistent tautness by practicing the in, uh, increasing tautness in that rapid cycling between being the drop of water and the ocean of water. Yeah. It's like if you know that there's going to be dessert after a meal, you're, you're going to look forward to it, right? So it, uh, this is one way of considering if the end game is this, is this uh, fullness of consistent connection. And for some that will still be while in the physical and for others it may not be. Um, that's just our own soul's journey. And, uh, and, but don't worry if you're thinking, oh, well, I don't want to get that close because I don't want to have to leave the body. You already, you already know, your soul already knows that whole sort of plan, if you will. Um, I, I remember what I wanted to say about the drop. A lot of human minds are so concerned with losing their individuality that they don't want to let themselves be part of the whole ocean. But you know, the whole ocean still has all its drops, right, in, in infinity. So every, every drop is the same, has the same structure, and it's water. Like, you'll never not be water. A drop will never not be water. You and I will never not be our, our unique energetic uh, impressions of life force, right? So um, I just wanted to throw that out. And so it's just the, our passion about this is that when more of us are connected, it influences our families. And, you know, that influences our communities when more and more people realize the, the utter vitalness of this. You know, it's like we started this whole thing because we thought, okay, well, this is the one thing that human beings have not have yet to try, right? So it's the ripple effect from an individual perspective to our families and then to our communities and into businesses and into political arenas and worldwide, it, it would make for a very different world. And that's what our um, that's what we're hoping to contribute by these conversations is the awakening into that understanding. So more and more people are inspired to take this path. Yes, exactly. And that's, again, I want to underline that. That's why we call this the one thing that, that hasn't been tried. A lot of us have been trying, not just trying, but practicing this individually practicing connection with the one thing individually. But the one thing that hasn't been tried in the way of, of collective solutions, whether the collective, like Lori said, is a family or a community or a business or a society or our whole species, is this, is, is creating uh, true solutions to collective challenges from a one thing connected place. Right. And, and also that in, that matters in our individual individual practice, because we think we're practicing and we are, we're practicing, but we think we're good. But there's, if we're, if we're being triggered, if we have old wounds that still are unhealed, I mean, if we don't, if we're not living in a regular state of connection to the best that we can, and it should be improving, then there's more work to do right? That we, we get a little stalled sometimes and our mind is so wily. I mean, it's so good at having us think 
we're so on it <laughs> and, when, and beware if that's what your mind is having you think it's you it may not be true 100 percent true <laughs> right and so that brings us to three value takeaways that we want to uh, offer to you as we begin to wrap up this episode the first of those is we want to recommend that you practice recognizing when you are and aren't taught connected, not with judgment, just as, uh, as an observer, because if we, if we don't recognize when we are and aren't taught connected, how will we know when it's time to reconnect? So it's just a matter of non-judgmental, non-critical non, um, observation. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the most common signposts, Lori kind of mentioned this in passing a, a couple of minutes ago, of recognizing for recognizing when we're not taught connected in a particular moment is when we we feel emotionally triggered, when we're running a negative emotional charge inside ourselves. If we're triggered, we're not taught connected in that moment. It's impossible to be triggered and taught connected simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So that um, uh, and, and, you know, if we, if we aren't triggered, then chances are much better that we're either taught connected or at least fully available to being taught connected. So that's the first takeaway is practice recognizing what non-judgmentally when you are and aren't taught connected. Yes. And then the next thing is to recognize, um, what, what stage you're at, what, you, what stage you're in for the most part. And I, I think it's probably, there might be an overarching stage that you're sort of hovering in, but there's also different stages for different parts of our life. Like maybe at work, you're in one particular stage and in your family life, you're in another particular stage. And in the um, aspect of your life where you take care of yourself, you might be in another particular stage. So you just wanna notice, and again, it's this isn't about judgment. Judgment is an old energy signature. And the antidote for judgment is compassion. And I love the quote by the Buddha, the your, if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. And so the very first thing to do when we notice we're disconnected or triggered or emotionally charged or in a particular stage when we wish we were in another stage, any of those things, right, is to, is to practice it accessing a soft compassion for yourself so you can just move on and because judgment is a prison and that keeps us quite stuck where we are and you know energy is moving fast now and it's actually painful to be stuck and so the practice of pre being present with ourselves being compassionate i actually recommend you being compassionate with yourself all throughout the day just so you have easy access to it when things get sticky. <laughs> it's easier when things are sticky if we've practiced it to access it. Yeah, yeah. And so again, just real quickly, the, the stages are stage zero is asleep, stage one is breakthrough experience or, or the gradual reaching a critical mass for that breakthrough. Stage two is taught chasing. So chasing experiences outside of the fabric of our daily lives, taught experiences. And stage uh, stage three is taught cycling. So cycling in and out of a taught connection state in the context, in the fabric of our daily lives. Stage four is increasing tautness. 
um, and uh, the, the cycling happening faster and faster and more and more often. And stage five is consistent tautness when you're able to get there. So that leads to the third and final value takeaway, which is practice using the four R's of release, uh, recognize, release, reaffirm, and rewire while you are gently stretching yourself into whatever your next stage in is beyond the stage that you're primarily in, um, in on a daily basis. And like Lori said, spot on is, uh, is that we might be in different stages in different parts of our life, but it's about recognizing the stage we're in and then practicing stretching into whatever that next stage is each day uh, or in each moment of each day uh, if you're already in stage three or, or higher. Yeah. And, you know, what David just explained, if, if I would, I would put out a request to you to, to be easy with yourself and give yourself some leeway. You know, this, it, whenever we do new things, it feels a little awkward when we're stretching, it feels awkward. And, you know, you could practice just what we're talking about for the rest of your life. And it would be an an exquisitely beautiful practice. So this isn't something that you're just going to sort of handle by next week. <laughs> so not one and done. Yeah. Give yourself permission to, to play with it and, and discover and explore and have an adventure with it. So it doesn't feel so heavy. One of the keys of knowing that we're disconnected is when we're too serious, when we're too serious, we're in our small mind. And um, that's just a, a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a key that, that that's happening. So right. we would love to tell you about our next episode in two weeks, which is, we're going to talk about your purpose. Like people get so obsessed with discovering and figuring out what is their purpose and they're looking for their purpose and they take classes on how to find their purpose and <laughs> all those things. And, you know, it, we, we were talking about this analogy where we've been taught as humans in this, in this game board to put the cart before the horse and that we've been taught to ignore the horse and focus only on the cart. And, you know, even though that horse needs to, we need the horse to draw the cart, right? So we're going to be talking about your purpose and putting the cart before the horse and the horse before the cart in the right way and what, what it feels like on in both ways so that you can actually be in, in right relationship with your purpose as a human being and, and be, uh, be, um, given what what is important for you to next be revealed to you for your purpose and that kind of thing. And so what, what did he say? Uh, you, David wrote this. In our next episode, we're going to reveal what the horse is that is supposed to pull our purpose cart and how to return our horse to leading our purpose cart. So I said a lot of words just for that line to be the, the key. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, remember to dance with your better half, the one thing. <laughs>